when we when we give our attention to our experience in the way that we've been doing. We <coughs> throw up a lot of questions. Like I was saying earlier, you know, the, the question that leads to hell. The why question. But why? But why? We have to see where our question leads us. Whether it's worth pursuing. Another question people often ask. How do I... I often don't have much... I don't know what to say very often to the how do I. Because often where the question leads is towards some kind of strategy, some sort of technique, some sort of trick. You want to know, how do I deal with this situation? How do I, this is happening, how do I get rid of it? We usually cloak it a bit more spiritually than that. We say, how do I let go of it? But if we look where the question leads, how do I push this away? It's often what that's about. And so this question that we invited you to ask each other this afternoon, what are you aware of now? What am I aware of now? And I'm inviting you to ask that question now. You know, what's happening right now? What is this? What is this? It's the mother of all questions. It's kind of, I can feel as I ask it, what is this? Kind of the infinite ripples of that question. That too can be the question that leads to hell. If you get too busy trying to find the answer, like as if there's something particular I'm supposed to find that's happening now. That's not a very helpful way to inquire. It's really an art, the art of inquiry. What does it really mean to inquire into our experience? Because finding an answer, you know, certainty is a dead thing. You know, when you think you know, what's happening? As if I'm going to find something, oh, that's what's happening. That's what we like. We like that kind of certainty. In fact, it can feel very uh, uncomfortable, the not knowing. What Lama Govinda called dwelling in the cloud of unknowing. It's, un- it's uncomfortable, it's disorientating sometimes to let ourselves not know. But to let ourselves not know is a place full of possibility. What's happening? What is it to be here? Before we say, wind, or Devon, or, uh, or body, or others 
I mean, those thoughts, of course, will, will happen. Of course they will. That's, it. That's part of the description. But it's, it's part. It's very partial. It would be a shame if all we had in response to the question was those partial, clumsy answers. So what does it mean to inquire into our experience? To cultivate the art of inquiry, to to be willing to ask that question. It might have other forms to it, but that's the essence. What's happening now? The essence of inquiry, in as much as it's finding its way more deeply into this experience. So, we have to be careful with the language or the description when we say inquiry. Think of the, you know, making inquiries. You know, like you go to a desk to make an inquiry. Excuse me, what's happening now? (laughs) Have you seen the, the... We had a picture on the office door of the Moulin, the centre where I live for a while, and a picture of somebody uh, meditating and it said office well, it said office and then underneath a picture of someone meditating it just said inquire within <laughs> it's quite good for an office door <laughs> and the door's locked <laughs> oh inquire within so what does it mean to inquire into our experience if we're not fixated on finding an answer one way of looking at that is as what we might call a kind of a, what I sometimes call kinesthetic inquiry. So what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, let's see as we ask ourselves, what's happening now? To let that be a kinesthetic inquiry. Visceral curiosity. What's happening now? Something over the touch of the cold air on hands, sounds of cups, the sense of this field of attention, contact, intimacy that we're participating in together. What is this? The visceral curiosity, the kinesthetic inquiry is one that basically Try, is we find out what's happening by feeling into it more fully. That's not especially about meditation. That's a practice. That's an invitation, I would say, even better word than practice. It's an invitation in every moment, in every circumstance, in every contact with every person. When what we happening is when what we is happening is sweet and beautiful, and when what is happening is troubling and difficult. Something about meditation that really supports our capacity to inquire kinesthetically. But it's not what happens necessarily just in meditation. That's a lot, again, of what the activities of the days have been. We've been supporting the quality of contact. Just coming back, just coming back, 
is coming back. In meditation, but also in the group work, coming back to the contact, coming back to the sitting with, coming back to the seeing. And supporting the quality of curiosity. To let ourselves, you know, let go of the story a bit and find out, you know, what's it like to sit in frustration? What's it like to sit in desire? What's it like to sit in confusion? It's another way of expressing that, that same basic question. What's this like? What's this like? The thing is, of course, with questioning... We think we need to come up. We need to come up. It's not just that we're looking for an answer. We feel like we need to provide the answer. In fact, generally, we feel that we need to do everything. That's the nature of um, what the Buddha called clinging to self. That everything in life seems all to be about me. So I'm asking the question. I'm finding the answer. I'm doing the meditation. And I'm going to get this benefit, or I'm going to get rid of that problem. It seems to be about me. There's, there's these other people out there, somehow. And sometimes we're touched. Sometimes that, that uh, self-centeredness breaks for a moment. You know, some of you have reported the moments of that breaking in the contact with another. Suddenly, the, 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 the solidarity of the heart, or the shared presence or the awareness that we're not the owner of, some of the ways we've referred to it over the days. Sometimes that's so obvious. It's so alive. It so much fills the here-ness. That, uh, that usual self-centeredness starts to look a bit nuts. Like, oh, why, why would I be so caught up in this little loop? my practice and my stories and my history and my issues and my problems and my relationships and my work and my, 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 oh my. <laughs> because of that centrality, you know, when you look around the whole of life, we see life everywhere, everywhere, oh, our life all around us, and one thing, there's all life everywhere, and one thing that seems to be just set apart from it all, me. There's a lot of life. And there's me. <laughs> so there's some essential truth there about hereness. It's all happening here. Everywhere I look is here. Everything I hear is happening here. Every thought happens right here. Every memory, every impression, every contact. There's something very true about that hereness. But when we don't, when we don't inquire, when we don't sense into it, we don't, when we don't find out, moment by moment in an alive way, when we don't find out about the truth of hereness, we tend to just make it something solid. Like I was saying about the Wizard of Oz earlier. That solidity of me. And then if I'm this, the, you know, the centre of it all, look, there I am, life, 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 oh, here, me. Then that leaves me with a lot of responsibility. I've got to manage everything. I've got to get it all right. Well, that's a delusion we usually buy into, right? I've got to 
do it right and that I've, I'm responsible for getting it right and that I should be able to get everything right. Whew. There's a whole lot of life out there. And yet you ought to be able to get everything right. And so much is outside of our control. That's often, if you look carefully, that's the, the response we have to suffering. In, you know, or that's the response we have when something goes wrong. You know, it's really normal that things go wrong. Nobody in the history of the world has ever had a life where nothing went wrong. Because we're not in control of it all. How could, how could this whole vast, infinite, freely unfolding life just be... just conform to my wishes? I mean, that's nuts, right? That starts to sound not just like egocentrism, but egomania. And yet, when something goes wrong, we say, oh, it feels like I've, I've made it wrong. I've got it wrong. And, and that if I could just figure it out somehow differently, or if I could try hard, or if I could stop doing this, or if I didn't have that history, or if I didn't have this problem, or if I didn't have this person in my life, or if I, something was different, then I'd be able to get it right. It's a lot to lay on ourselves. And then we hear teachings and speak about the free unfolding of experience, about the natural immediacy of things, about the here and now. And because of that same pattern, we tend to appropriate all that as well. Right, I've, I've got to be here and now. Make that into a project for me to get right. You know, pretty much every attempt you can make to be, to get here and now can only take you away. Or rather, maybe more accurately, can only give you the impression of being away. Right? Because if I've got to get here and now, the implication is that I think I'm somewhere else. So we appropriate even these qualities of life. The Buddha has a, a few very beautiful, there's a few very beautiful Pali words that speak about some of these qualities of the way life is. And one of them is, is the here and nowness of life. Yana Buddhata in Pali. It's very, very different to consider the here and nowness of life, what I've been calling immediacy these days, to consider the way part of the absolute fibre of life is that it's immediate. There's, 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 no, there's no life that isn't immediate. That's very, very different to consider the, the here and nowness of life rather than me trying to produce here and nowness. I wonder, can you feel how exhausting that is? Me trying to produce something that's already inherent in life 
and that the very pro- attempt to produce it just gets in the way of me seeing that quality. Simple one, dhammata. Naturalness. The naturalness of life. Just listening to the wind. There's a naturalness to it. Something about being close to nature that really kind of uh, sings to us of the naturalness of life. I live in the countryside, and just you know the way the seasons happen. It's that kind of natural intelligence is a little bit anthropomorphic, you know. But uh, it's a kind of naturalness. That's a better word. Not better, but better than intelligent. An appropriateness, an orderliness, isn't quite like right. A free unfolding. The words I've already been using. So it's very different to consider the freeness, the naturalness of life, than it is for me to try and get free. You see the common thread here? common thread here is that when I make it about me I make it a lot of hard work I think it was yesterday I said something about what I call shorthand of this practice short of practicing with body letting it be feeling life letting it in with thought life letting it go and I thought I might just unpack a little bit maybe the longhand version of that in light of um, in light of the sense of life's freeness and naturalness rather than in the light of me trying to do body free body, natural body me trying to do feeling life, etc. What does it mean to inhabit body? To inquire into, in a kinesthetic sense, to inquire into body. To allow for the freeness and naturalness of body. You know, all that anxiety in our culture about ageing. All those creams and other things there must be. (laughs) There's a lovely anecdote. Ramdas, I remember hearing Ramdas say about this. About these, these spots people get on the back of their hands as they're getting older. And he saw an, he saw a TV ad for some cream for those spots. And in the ad it said, some people call these aging spots. I call them ugly. <laughs> and then it went on to tell you about the cream you could rub on to cure. So Ramdas's thing was, some people call these ugly. I call them aging spots. 
to calling it what it is. There's a naturalness to body aging. There's a naturalness to the way body manages itself. Whatever uh, various difficulties we might have, and you might have various health issues, right? minor or major or terminal, that's what awaits all of us just around the corner, right? if we're not there already. Minor, major, terminal. But wherever we might find ourselves on that continuum, we sit and body breathes. It's like life is speaking volumes to us of its freeness and naturalness. So much so that this body, you know, there's all these processes I can't possibly hope to imagine. No, I can't manage all of this. And then that idea is the tendency to come up with so many ideas about what's happening. To think, I've got to know what body is. After 20-something years of this practice, I really, really know less and less and less about what body is. But it's... Whatever... Whatever I might attune to as I sit in the experience of body, it's the less and less I, I certainty there is about that, and less and less I can find where it starts and stops and how it works, the more alive it is, the more clear it is in its freeness and naturalness. That dance of sensation and vibration that we call bodily life. That common sense says, oh, I know what body is. It doesn't mean I know what body is. What's the matter with him? It's this body. And it's here. It's this. But actually, in the direct experience of body, it doesn't really seem to end here. What's it like? This experience of body, if it's not about your age or your gender or your shape or your size or your history or your attractiveness or your lack of attractiveness or whatever else you've accumulated and attributed to the story of body, what's it like to let body be? It's vibratory. It's alive. It's ungraspable. It's undefinable. We're not used to, most of us, we're not used to undefinable. We don't like undefinable. That's why we come back so so easily to, oh, your body, to the usual sense of, the familiar sense of, the, the uh, defined sense of. The invitation of practice, the invitation of the freeness and naturalness that the Dharma beckons us to, 
is the invitation to allow undefined experience. When we, when we let our experience be undefined, it reveals its naturalness, its freeness. Don't define your experience as you sit here, just in terms of attuning to body. And then you'll start to recognize the naturalness of body sitting, the freeness of bodily experience unfolding. In some ways, not all our experience is undefinable. It's undefinable even in terms of body. It's kind of it's a, it's an it's an unnatural division to say to look at these maybe four arenas of experience: body, heart, mind, world. I think that covers everything. Anybody ever had any other kind of experience? Body, heart, mind, world. And even there, it's a, it's a very clumsy division. In the direct experience of body, can you find where body ends and world begins? Common sense will tell us all kinds of things about that. But if we listen for a rather uncommon sense, there's the intimacy. Anatta. A naturalness. Dhammata. The immediacy, yana buddhata. We've been also encouraging each other the last few days to allow, to dare, to allow feeling life, the life of the heart, to let it in. And to dare to let it in, even when what it is we're letting in is our defensiveness around that, our fear of letting it in. You know, when there's something in the way, well, I'm afraid to let it in, so we think, well, that means I can't, I can't let it in. But you can let that in. You can let in the, 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 that there's a, there's a fear. So rather than the ideal, you know that tendency, again we've been exploring, to just move away, to, to, if it was different then I'd let it in. And what happens? It's another way of asking this que- the same question, is it? What actually happens when I let my heart life be here? You know, that's, that's a question for us to find out. We can't find that out too often or too much. So we've spent inevitably so much time kind of armoring our heart in different ways. So we're invited to actually find out what happens if I let it be here. And sometimes it feels like to let it it in, whatever it is, the fear, the uh, hurt, the confusion. Feels like to let it in would be to to drown in it. 
It feels like to let it in would be, you know, that my heart would break. And that's true in a way. It does break. But it, you know, that bre- it breaks open. It breaks open. I don't know if you, you know Hanuman, the Hindu uh, deity, it's the Hindu monkey god. And his uh, expresses a lot of heart. And he loves Sita and Ram, two other Hindu gods. I don't want to get too much into the Hindu mythology here. This is just images are sprung out of nowhere. But the the image you often see of Hanuman is he's like this. He's pulling his heart open like this. And then Sita and Ram are living inside his heart. And there's something in the image often when the when it's skillfully drawn of you can feel the, the, the pain of his heart being and yet the beauty of it as well. How strange that pain and beauty live in exactly the same place. The heart too is undivided. You can't just let in some of it. There's not that filter. We'd like to just keep out all the, the difficult bits and just live in the sweet bits. And when we hear the spiritual teachings about peace and compassion and love, then we turn that into something I've got to do. Oh, I've got to feel peaceful. I've got to be compassionate. The number of poor Buddhists who beat themselves up with the stick of compassion. You know, really, I often think this isn't really a practice of wisdom and compassion. Wisdom and compassion, like the spaciousness and immediacy, they're actually innate qualities of the heart. You don't need to do wisdom, do compassion. They're not, they're not you know, I wouldn't do a very good job of being wise and compassionate. It's moral practice of greed, hatred and delusion. Which doesn't sound so glamorous, right? Mm-hmm. If we, you know, that's, people will sign up for wisdom and compassion. <laughs> they don't want, they won't want to sign up for greed, hatred and delusion. But when the heart's contracted, that's what we find it contracted with. Those, that energetic grip that I was speaking about this morning. The grip of greed, hatred or delusion, demand, defence, distraction. And when we dare to meet that, when we dare to let in what's here, the softening reveals compassion. That's a lot less work than me having to be compassionate and measuring myself against the ideal of compassion and judging myself for all the ways I don't seem to measure up. We don't find love in our heart by trying to change whatever is here into love. We find the love by daring to let 
what's already here be felt. And that daring is love. That letting it, whatever it is, is love. And the beautiful thing is that that which is allowing it, by its very nature, always has room. That which is doing the allowing is always bigger than that which is being allowed. Heart might turn out to be infinitely wide. You may well know this beautiful uh, few lines from the Sargadatta Maharaj. This is you know, 20 something years after hearing this line, still getting the nectar of insight juice from it. He says, Love tells me I am everything, wisdom tells me I am nothing. Between these two, my life flows. I shouldn't be giving you this line near the end of the talk because now I can give you a couple of hours of uh, (laughs) just exploring the exquisite levels of truth and depth and beauty in those few lines. Love tells me I'm everything. And when I listen to the heart, the heart's naturalness, the heart's freeness, the heart's willingness to allow what's here, the innate letting in that is the free heart, to let what's here in. You know, to to love is to not refuse. To love is to not resist. To love is to not turn away. To love is to allow. And what I allow into the heart, it's, it's, that's, there's the intimacy with it. It's right here. Love tells me the more I allow in, nothing's excluded. Nothing's left out. That's the nature of love, right? In those moments of exquisite intimacy with another, the, the boundary, the division, it drops away. To know love is to know intimacy. And the more we let in, the more we find that's all the heart wants to do, really. Unboundedly. And so the sense of myself, the sense of what I contain, the sense of what my my experience is, just gets wi- wider and wider, more and more inclusive. Love tells me I'm everything. Because love can't leave, can't leave anything out. Wisdom tells me I'm nothing. Wherever I look, I can't find who I take myself to be. All that my, 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 my ness. Martin, Martin, Martin. Oh, oh there's the thought of Martin gone as quickly as it arises and then there's this when I pay close attention to the the thought of Martin that I can't locate I can't lock down 
increasingly notice just the space out of which that thought arises. <clears throat> Vast space. Empty space. All-inclusive space. Nothing, nothing of Martin to be found. Plenty of sense of Martin, moment by moment, arising, uh, expressing. But nothing of what I take that to be, to be found. Oh, that's a relief. To not have to prop up this poor, struggling, trying doing his best to be wisdom, wise and compassionate and clever and funny and loving and oh. it's a lot of work to keep that going so it's worth looking for worth looking for any, any time I take myself to be something because in the moment I recognise is that I can't find anything of that other than the momentary thought of it. Then there's nothing I need to keep holding up, dragging along. Wisdom, te- love tells me I'm everything. And the heart spreads out in that recognition. Wisdom tells me I'm nothing. And the ego momentum stops, collapses, runs out in that recognition. Between these two, our life flows. So there's no pressure to be everything or to be nothing. Just the willingness to let in what's here. Just the willingness to notice the tragicomedy of having taken myself to be something. This is the invitation to the flowing life, friends. So as you go through the evening, just to see if you can feel for the naturalness that your experience is already expressing. See if you can feel for the immediacy in which your experience is unfolding. And whether your attention goes to one or other arena, body, indefinable and vibratory, heart, with whatever's passing through it, mind, in both its constructions 
and in the recognition of its constructions, their emptiness. Or world. The touch of life. And the intimacy with our senses. Let's just see if we can invite the flow. contact, the inquiry, gentle with ourselves, gentle with life. May it be so for each one of us and for all beings everywhere. short meditation together in about half an hour. <clears throat>